This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Our scripture this evening comes from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manger, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generations than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One is faithful in very, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful. In that which is another's, who will you give that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Right after the best told story that many consider, the parable of the two sons, It's this obscure passage where for many of us, I think, uh, that would consider ourselves uh, followers of Christ for some time, I think you read this and you're thinking, did I skip this chapter literally every time I've read uh, scripture? Because uh, it's so uh, obscure, and even as you read it, I know for me, even this past week, I'm wondering, did Jesus really say this? Because it seems borderline incorrect, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And also what you have to understand is the whole parable of God's, uh, God's love, the prodigal son, uh, the father's heart, that's all told not for the one who lives that crazy life, but for the one who is, for the most part, for the most part moral, and that's uh, the, the, the Pharisees. And this story is about the Pharisee as well, because even after uh, this portion that we just read in verse 14, it talks about the Pharisees and their love for money. But in this passage, he's not talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to what? In verse 1. He's talking to his disciples. I want you to see the big picture right now. He goes and tells the story of the Father's heart. And as he shares about the father's heart, about these two lost sons, he's thinking about the Pharisees, 
But then, and, this, and I think the way that it, it works out, it's in the midst of him talking to the Pharisees, he turns to the disciples. Do you see that? So he's talking to his disciples, those who have committed to follow him. He's talking to them, talking about this issue of what? Money. And he'll say, say later, the Pharisees are guilty of it, and now to his disciples. To you, who consider yourselves followers of Christ, this is his message, that we all will struggle with money. And there will be times when we make great mistakes and failure uh, with money. And so he's going to share about the common failure that we all will struggle with, but also he's going to, what, what the young kids call, dropping some wisdom. Okay, so he's going to be dropping some wisdom for us. And so failure with money. Ask your neighbor, do you fail with money? You fail with money? As you think about that question, you're probably wondering, what does that even mean to fail? Does it mean that we're bad at investments? Does that mean I'm not good at it? <laughs> right? Is that what it means to fail with money? What does Jesus consider failure with money? In verse 1, he said to his disciples, there was a rich man. And so he, he starts off now a few parables in this way, and we'll see it in the coming uh, chapters later. He says, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him about this man, uh, that this man was wasting his possessions. And he, sa- and he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So the, what we, all, all that Jesus cares to disclose is he sets up the story, because this is a parable, it's fictitious to, t- to make a point. And all he wants us to know is that this manager has failed. He has wasted this, uh, this owner's possessions. And you can no longer be manager. And so we go back into the story and we're going to think, we're going to understand what is this money manager, this money manager that Jesus makes up, what's he going to do? So in verse 3, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from my management, people may receive me into their houses. And so, uh, this man, he's thinking, okay, I've got a short period of time. I mean, we're not given how much time it is, but he's given a short period of time to take care of whatever he wants to take care of before he's ousted from that position. So what does he do? He's going to figure out what to do with life. In verse 5, So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down and write 50. Uh, There's a lot of commentary study on what this actually means. Uh, There's a lot of confusion on it because the way that Luke writes it, he keeps it in the Hebrew in terms of the quantity. So it's actually very hard to figure out how much this would be. But in short, uh, commentators say it's about a year and a half of savings that he would have. So just imagine, whatever you make, a year and a half is what this debtor was given. So it's a, it's a great discount. 
Verse 7, and then unto another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So this would be about two years of savings. It was a, it was a more uh, costly uh, thing, uh, the wheat. And so he was discounted about two years. So to one man, he saved him about a year and a half's uh, worth of salary. To another, about two years worth of salary. And before we go on, if I was to ask you, what's the moral of the story? What's the point? You probably have no idea, right? Because in my mind, Jesus could have said many things. He could have said, you see, once, uh, he, and he, he was at one point dishonest, and he'll always be dishonest. Right? That could have been the moral of the story. He could have said, if he's corrupt on the job, he'll be corrupt in life. That could have been the moral of the story. But, that's not the moral. The moral, the lesson, is not a negative lesson. It's a positive lesson from a dishonest money manager. Right? In verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Going on, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. I mean, I want you to understand what Jesus is doing. He's using this fictitious story of a dishonest money manager, this corrupt money manager, and he's using this guy to make a point to the disciples, saying, hey, disciples, can you be at least as good as this money manager, this dishonest money manager? I mean, the way that I think I would understand it, the way that I think, you know, I could tell it, would be, you know, uh, there was this middle-aged man. He found out he has cancer. So he, he decides to start this drug deal. And it goes nationwide. And his name is Walter White. Right? If you know, the, if you know Breaking Bad, it's the story. And the idea could be Jesus is saying, can you be as, at least as creative as that guy? Disciples? Or, you know, Squid Games is super popular now, right? And each, you know, in each series, the, I want no spoilers, so don't worry. Uh, in, in, each, in each, you know, contest, right, right, these contestants, per se, are creative, are using everything within their means to make some money, to get to the next stage. And in, in essence, Jesus could say, can you be disciples, those who call yourselves Christians, can you be at least as creative and intentional as them? The fact that Jesus is making up a fictitious story about a corrupt, dishonest money manager and then telling his disciples, hey, disciples, can you be at least as shrewd, intentional, creative as them? The lesson is this. Jesus' disciples must be really bad with money. It's a super deep lesson, right? <laughs> that Christians must be really, really bad with money. And this is the actual clearer point. People of this world are wiser in preparing for their future realities than the people of God. That's the deeper lesson. For this man, he was given a short period of time to figure out whatever he wanted to do, and he's brilliant with it. The commentators kind of debate, is he actually scamming the, you know, the owner? 
some people say he's just taking off the commission. So that's why the, the owner is not angry. And so he, he's just working it out so that he loses commission so that when he leaves the job, he's got all, all these people that he can go to who he's shown favor with, and maybe he can work with them. But Jesus doesn't care to share what this actually means. All Jesus wants us to know is that he was shrewd, intentional with the time that he had left to figure out how to take care of the rest of his life. And the lesson is the people of this world are always doing that. They're always shrewd about how they will make this life the best. And he sees his disciples, he recognizes they're not doing that because they don't necessarily care for this life as much, which is a good point. But then he says, but what you should still do is care for the greater reality. And later he'll be talking about how you should actually use your money to win people to the kingdom. And that's the ultimate lesson. And so this is now the section where I'm going to share uh, what, are, what is clearly some wisdom uh, in this passage. And unlike uh, other sermons where there's a few points, there's seven points today. I'm going to fly through them. But the reason I wanted to make it ex- as explicit as possible is I also confess that I don't m- manage my monies as I think God would w- want me to. So the idea is short, you know, bite-sized thoughts and applications so that at the end of it, you're not thinking, what did Pastor Joel talk about today? But, but that you'd be thinking, okay, there's a few things that I, I, I recognize I'm doing wrong. I'm going to do something about it. And so the first, uh, the first idea that Jesus uh, clearly mentions is to make friends by means of money. And again, this is one of, one of those things that you're going to be thinking, did Jesus really say that? Like, it sounds so wrong, right? It sounds so against the common wisdom of something along the lines of you can't buy love with money, right? You can't buy friends with money. Right? It seems like it's going against that common wisdom that we all know of. But Jesus is not saying that win friends with money alone. Okay? It's very important and clear. If you want to win me over with your money, I'm happy to do that. But the idea is that there's more. Right? There's more than simply the money. It's the whole trajectory of the Christian. You want to love people And what Jesus is then challenging them with is as you love people, use your money to win the friends over. Obviously, we need to be wise with this, right? If you have some money and you have been generous, what you would find out very quickly is that people will start to go to you simply because of your money. And so I don't think Jesus is saying to do this uh, in a naive type of way. The key idea is to be shrewd, right? That's the idea, that, the, that this man, he was shrewd with his intentions, with the money. And that would be the, the invitation, the challenge for you to be shrewd with the money, the resources God has given you, which leads to our second point. What does it mean to be shrewd? I think one way to think about it is plan your money. Plan what you will do with your money. The idea of being shrewd, it's calculated, it's witty, it's sharp, it's astute, it's creative. Right? This man really was, had his back against the wall. 
And he, and he thought to himself, I'm not strong. I can't dig. I can't do these things. What can I do with my resources to figure out how I'm going to live for the rest of my life? That's what he's thinking. And so, the challenge is to be then intentional. You see, this man, as, his, as he had his back, back up against the wall, he was active, he was intentional, he was planning. What he is saying then for the Christian is we're often naive, we're often so, in one sense, heavenly minded that we are, we're of no earthly good. And what Jesus is saying is, yes, heaven is real, yes, that is where your treasure is, and so because of that, actually live like it. Don't just not care about this world, care all the more about this world because the next is more important. Let me ask you if, you, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, how was your giving this past year? You don't have to say it out loud, I'm not going to have you put a, a thumbs up or thumbs down, but just between you and God, how was your giving this past year? How was your giving to those who are in need? And I'm not talking about the one-time gift. I'm talking about a lifestyle of giving. I'm talking about generosity. How did you do? Is there uh, people that you're, you're helping out on a monthly basis, right? Uh, how uh, have you been in terms of uh, supporting gospel work? Maybe you know a friend who's doing missions work, right? Maybe you've gotten a call or an email from someone. Are you supporting people in gospel work? Right? You attend this church. Are you able to support us as we do gospel work? Right? That's the idea. And the, the lesson that Jesus would have for us is that the average Christian, it's not that we're so tightly wound that we are not giving our money. Right? It's not that we have this money and we're saying, no, 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 Jesus, it's mine, 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 mine. What Jesus is saying is you are so naive, you don't plan you just think that naturally you'll give to people. And you look back this past year and you recognize you haven't really given much. And what Jesus is saying is you're, what you're guilty of is, that, is not that you are in one sense so selfish, but you are not shrewd. You are not intentional. You haven't planned. You see, the common reason uh, people are terrible at giving is not necessarily that they have decided not to give it's that people haven't decided nor planned to give. I'm thinking this is probably true of many of us who are guilty of not being as generous as we want. It's not that as God asks you to give, you're saying, no, this is my money. Chances are many of you, you want to be generous. But the reason you haven't been as generous as you have desired is because simply you haven't planned for it. So plan your money. Next, it's uh, money is false riches. So now he gets a little bit deeper. Right In verse 9, he says, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. What in the world is unrighteous wealth? Unrighteous wealth just simply means not true wealth. In verse uh, 11, uh, you see that Jesus compares uh, unrighteous wealth with true riches. 
back in verse 9, he talks about unrighteous wealth, and he talks about eternal dwellings. Jesus has two things in mind. There's things that matter to things that don't. There are things that are righteous, there are things that are unrighteous. There's things that are worth living for. There are things that you, uh, that, that, you know, that it's not worth living for. And that's what he is saying. The money that you think is so valuable that makes you, quote-unquote, rich, does not actually make you rich. It's actually false riches. And Jesus does this all the time. Uh, Luke 12, 33. I saw your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves uh, with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Right? The call for Jesus, he doesn't say live poor lives. Do you know that? He doesn't say you shouldn't care about wealth, period. He understands that you want to be wealthy to take care of yourself. And what Jesus is actually then doing is going beneath that and asking, what does it even mean to be rich? If you pursue a lot of money, what you will find is that you can be financially rich, but yet truly poor. We can think of many actors, actresses, wealthy people, who are miserable. That might be you, not, not, maybe not an actor actress, but you can be generally well-off financially, but yet there is a sadness and a sorrow and an emptiness inside. And what Jesus would, would have for you is, for you to know, is not necessarily that you don't have enough money, right, and we all know that, but it's actually with, or after false riches. So he is always, as he talks about money, often, Right? In chapter 12, and chapter 18, in this, in Luke, in Luke 16, every time he talks about money, he's trying to talk about something more important, something more uh, substantial in terms of what wealth is. Because he wants you to understand that money, earthly money, will fail you. Number four, that earthly money will fail you. Right? In verse 9, right, talks, talking about unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails... It's not a matter of if money will fail. It's a matter of when money will fail. Because again, as mentioned before, it's not true wealth. It will fail you. It does not truly satisfy the needs of any man or any woman. Right? We understand that it does not satisfy, it does not provide any, uh, any way to truly purchase something more important. And the studies on this always back up scripture, which I think is so fascinating. So modern-day research about money and financial status, right, all of it is very, very clear. Studies show that once you have enough money to pay, your, pay for your basic necessities, the margin of happiness does not increase with then more money. Right? So the idea is, if you're truly struggling to pay for your monthly bills, yes, that's stressful. If you don't have enough money to pay for rent, yes, that's stressful. And so that's going to eat away at you, right? But the idea is once you have enough for basic necessities, the research is very, very clear that afterwards, the more money you have, it does not actually equate happiness. But money will fail you. Five, invest 
money than in true riches, is how Jesus then argues. Invest money in true riches. It's common knowledge, right, that if you have the opportunity to invest your money to make more money, you would. It's an investment principle. And so if you have an opportunity to buy land and you know that that land value will go up, let's say a friend of yours comes and says, hey, I got this plot of land right next to, uh, you know, Yongsan area where they're going to be doing a lot of renovation. As the base is leaving, it's going to become this park. Hey, you want to go in with me on it? It would be a no-brainer, yes. Why? Because it's an investment principle. And that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 9, right? So that they may receive you into what eternal dwellings. The idea that Jesus has in mind, even talking about treasure in heaven, where money bags don't, aren't destroyed, where treasure does not, is not destroyed. The whole idea is, yes, as you pursue money, understand there's a true wealth. And I find it fascinating that Jesus uses logic to get at our struggles with money. Because the ways in which you may have heard, um, you know, talks about money is guilt and shame-driven. But the way that Jesus talks about it is often investment principles. Invest your money in true riches. And we'll, we'll end with that later. And then uh, the sixth lesson is be faithful with small money. Whether you, you know, have a lot of money, whether you don't, the idea is to be faithful with the money given to you. Verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, right, uh, earthly wealth, who will entrust you, entrust to you true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own. You know, Jesus, he knows what you're thinking. You know why? Because isn't our common excuse, Jesus, I can't be generous today because I don't have enough money. Isn't that often what we think? And when I have this much money, when I get this job, then I will be generous. And what's Jesus saying? When you have little be generous and be faithful with little. You can be generous and poor at the same time, is what Jesus is saying. Right? You can be generous and poor at the same time. You can be poor and generous at the same time. Meaning, for all of us here, now we've got no excuse. How? How do we do this? How is it possible because for Jesus, it's not about how much you have. Right? Generosity is not dependent on how much you have in the bank, but how much you have in your heart. Right? That's like a hallmark quote is kind of how I think of it. Right? It's, it's, it's not about how much money you have in your account. It's about what you have in your heart. What I, what I mean by that, it's character. That's what Jesus is getting at. It's about character. It's about being faithful. Think about what it, what it means to be faithful. It means to be loyal. You're able to be loyal, meaning it's difficult to be loyal. It's difficult to be faithful. But you're able to be faithful when you have faith in something. 
And the whole idea is even when you have a little, you can trust somebody who will still take care of you. That's the whole idea. It's not about once you have enough money, then you'll give. It's really about what's in your heart. Do you have faith? Do you have trust? So therefore, when you have little, you're being wise, you're being shrewd in one sense, and you're giving with that. You see, and from there, he says, you know, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And then in verse 11, if you, have, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous, who will entrust you with true riches, right? With, with, with Jesus sounding like a prosperity preacher, and for me, with the risk of sounding like a prosperity preacher, one of the biblical principles is that when you are faithful with little, God will entrust you with more. When you're faithful with little, God will entrust you with more. I have seen that true on so many levels. Whether it's just personal responsibility, whether it's making the tough decisions and doing the right things, or whether even if it's money. And I am not going to say that once you do that, you become wealthy. No. But what I am saying is God does recognize how you manage your money. And what I'm saying is it matters. And what you will find is that as you take faith in these steps and give, you will see God helping you, providing for you, and you will recognize that you will go without your needs not being unmet, but your needs being met. The whole idea of all of this is Jesus is using your reason. But the reason we don't, um, we're not responsible often with our money is fear. So he's using reason to help you understand that, yes, you have fear, but that fear is illegitimate. The whole idea of all of this, it goes back to the whole idea of making friends with your money. Right? The whole idea of using your money as a tool and a resource to win people to Christ. And as you do this, what you will understand, the purpose of money is this. The purpose of money is for you to love people with it. That's it. It's not about how much money you can make. And so if you're saving, the whole idea is you can save in a way where it'll help you love people long term. That's the idea. It's not about retirement so you can live wealthy or live, live well. It's about retirement so that you can love people, right? It's about, if you're a parent, it's about saving for a college fund to love your children. The whole idea of what Jesus is saying here is if you are a disciple of mine, you love God, you love others, and money is a tool for that. Because we're designed to love. Once you love, it unlocks everything. And what's, again, amazing to me is how modern-day research backs this up. And one I read uh, just recently, uh, that there was an experiment done for 46 Canadian students, and they were randomly assigned $5 or $20 bills, and they, uh, they were assigned uh, what to do with that. So with some people, they were assigned, whether it's $5 or $20, to spend it on themselves. And for others, whether it's five or 20, to spend it on others. You guys know what the research will say. It was amazing, they say. Individuals randomly assigned to spend money on others versus themselves reported significantly, significantly higher levels of happiness. 
And so I want to actually give you a small challenge. Whatever is in your uh, wallet, if you have a 5 or a 20, right? What I want you to do, because I, I, I think one of the ways in which we learn this principle is actually by practice. It's not about me sharing more and more wisdom, right? I think a lot of it is, okay, we just need to trust God and try this out. And so what I challenge you tomorrow, because we're at the end of the day today, what I challenge you to do tomorrow is find someone who is in need and use the five or use the 20. And what you will find is it may be very, very subtle, is that when you help someone in need, when you choose to do it, not that you're forced, but when you choose to do it, what you will find is what Jesus says is true. It's, it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Right? In an article in the Harvard Business uh, Journal, Does Money Make Us More Happy? It says, in fact, even people who are struggling to meet their own basic needs exhibit this quote-unquote warm glow from giving to others. Isn't it interesting? Even when you're struggling financially, when you choose to care for somebody else, within your heart there is a joy that wells up. What's Jesus saying? I have created you. I have designed you. And the, the sin of the Pharisees is not that they hated people. They only thought about themselves. They only thought about themselves. They were self-obsessed. And what Jesus wants us to know is if you can understand God designed you, God created you, and the way in which you find love and joy and peace and all of that is when you love God and love others. And so with your money, to, to live in light of that. And lastly, money is a great servant, but a horrible master. He ends with this, with this truth. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's amazing how the Bible puts it. Because he doesn't, the, the Bible doesn't make too much of money, but the Bible also doesn't make too little of money. Right? The way in which we often handle money is after you start working, you start to make some money, you see your savings account go up a little bit and a little bit, what starts to happen is something within you turns on and you want more. You want to be more intentional, save a little bit more, and that's what you end up cons- being consumed with. And then maybe you go to church, you hear the pastor talk, and, you talk, and he talks about money, and so you decide, okay, I valued money too much. I'm not going to care about money. The way in which Jesus talks about money One, he says it's not a God, but throughout this whole parable, he shows the power of money. You see, our mistake is often we make too much of it or too little of it. What Jesus would have us know is if if, if God is God, then you can actually allow money to be money, a powerful tool for the kingdom. And every pastor would say, that if just every church person was generous, right, any NGO leader would say, if every, every Christian was generous, we could, eradicate, we could eradicate so much of the struggles of this city. 
And that's the idea. When we make too much of it, we idolize it. But then we end up becoming foolish, not thinking it doesn't matter enough, becoming like the disciples, where we're not shrewd or intentional with it. Money is extremely important in terms of how you use it. And if God is not God, you will not use money in that light. There's this one scene uh, from a great movie that I wonder how many of us know. It's from the movie Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. A little bit, a bit. Uh, there's this guy, Indiana Jones, and he is in search of this treasure. And he finally gets to the treasure. He schemes, plans, overcomes all these obstacles, and finally he's at this place where he is at, uh, he has found the treasure. But as he observes, you know, this treasure, he understands that, he, you know, the way that he understands it is if he takes off this treasure... It's going to sense a shift of weight, and everything else will crumble and fall apart. And so he's got this, this bag of sand. And he's, just not, he's trying to eyeball it. How much does it weigh? So he takes a, a, a handful of sand and just kind of weighs it, drops it. And he, he takes the bag. He says, okay, I think this is the right amount. And so then he switches it. And for a moment everything seems like it's going to be okay. It seems like for a moment, the weight of the counterfeit will replace the weight of the real thing. But if you know the movie, what happens is the whole place starts to fall apart. And that's what happens when you put money as your center goal. For a moment, it seems like my world's not falling apart. And so you live year after year, you make money, you live well. You're still thinking, oh, it's still holding, it's still holding. Until a matter of time when you start to recognize what's, what's happening inside. Because right? you cannot serve money. It's not substantial enough. It is not of the white weight. It is counterfeit and it will not hold. It seems like for a little while it will work, but it does not work. And all of chapter 16 is simply talking about, in light of God's love, not put these basic things into its place. If you, if you, see, if you understand God and his love, then he talks about money, then he talks about the law, obeying God, and then he talks about marriage. And the whole idea is if you cannot put these things underneath the umbrella of who God is, you will continue to put that above God. It will hold for a little bit, but slowly it will start to fall apart. And the idea that Jesus wants you to know is money makes a horrible master, but it's a wonderful tool when God is your master. When God is your master and you can truly submit your money to God, what God is saying then is God can use you to bring people into the kingdom. Is that not the greater treasure? Is really the, the great treasure of our life that car or that home? Is it not worth it to use your money to see one person come to faith because you've sacrificed and given to that person? Notice that it says that you don't love God or money. It doesn't simply say belief in. Because I know for many of us, 
We've tried this, right? We've heard a talk about money. We've heard talk about money. And we try to give up our money. But what happens for so many of us? We end up falling back into this, this bad pattern where we give for a little bit, but then we start to take care of ourselves. And notice that Jesus talks about you cannot love God and money. And the key word is love, serve. Because if God is not the one that you love, these good deeds will only fade after time. He says you have to love God, that he is your master, is what it says. It's a hard word, isn't it? Especially for us who are independent, especially in our generation where we, where we value independence more so than potentially any other generation, the idea of calling God master is a hard pill to swallow. I think Jesus is intentional. I think he is saying once you can understand that I am the master, that's when you can submit your will to him, but that's also when you can submit your hope and your love to him. The idea is love is going to be the greatest motivator in you to be able to love well. And so in chapter 15, he talks about God's love and then the, the, the best known you know, parable of all time. And right after, he gets at the heart of the disciple, of the Christian. If you know God's love and how much he adores and cares for you, how he will care for you, then he talks about one of the greatest tools given in life. You use your money to love and win people over. This is the story of the Bible. This is the gospel, right? The the younger sibling, when he has nothing, he goes back to the father. When he has nothing and he goes to the father, that's when he understands he has what? Everything. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, they were known as a poor church, a a church that's extremely uh, struggling with finances. But in that, when he writes to the Corinthian church, he says, though you are poor, he says you are abundant in joy. And because of that, they're actually generous. This poor church is generous in their giving. And he says that this is all rooted because you are rich in Christ. Are they financially rich? No. Are they truly rich? Yes. You can be financially poor, but full of joy, generous in giving because you are truly rich in Christ. Is this not the gospel? Is this not what Christ does? He leaves the wealth of heaven. He becomes poor, right? He says, I lay down my life in John 10. It's not forced. He chooses out of his own heart I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus today is not forcing you to give. He does invite you to live how you were created, to love. When I was in the Philippines a couple of years ago, I went with Compassion Ministries, and their desire was to show the work of Compassion Ministry. As I was uh, they're seeing uh, all these children who are sponsored. Uh, there was a night where the, the organization uh, set up where the pastors who were uh, you know, brought to this vision trip were able to meet some of these children who were sponsored, gave their life to Christ, went to college, 
and had transformed lives. But I remember this one, one lady, as I was getting to know her and her story, she shared about how it was through this ministry where they understood that there was Christians all around the world giving for people who are in need. And they never knew them. They never met them. As, he understood, as she understood the, the sacrificial love of the average Christian, she gave her faith to, to the Lord, understanding this is what God has done for her. She gives her life to Christ, goes to college, has this great job. You know what she does, though? She lives the city. Leaves this well-paying job. You know what she does? She goes back to her hometown. And she decides there's nothing better than to show the love of Christ. I'll sacrifice my apartment. I'll sacrifice my good job. I'll work near my, near my hometown. And I'll care for them. That's the power of the gospel. You're not forced to give. But you're invited to use all the resources God has given you to bring many people to Christ. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.